Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Thursday, February 8th. I'm Hannah Floor. The Petersburg Borough will receive nearly $3 million in federal grant money for an upgrade to its hydropower plant. Petersburg's Utility Director Carl Hagerman has been managing the upgrade since planning began in 2018. It's, it's very gratifying to uh, be the recipient of the grant. It was uh, excellent news. The grant is from a program that is part of the Biden administration's bipartisan infrastructure law. Petersburg Borough is the only recipient in Alaska. The Blind Slough Hydro Plant provides Petersburg with its cheapest source of electricity. The plant is powered by water from a dam at Crystal Lake, located partway up Crystal Mountain, 17 miles south of Petersburg. It's one of two hydroelectric sources for the town and supplies roughly 25% of the power that's consumed. Hagerman says the upgrade was needed to keep the Blind Slough facility operational. Some components of the plant were deteriorating. Since the upgrade was completed in December, there have been some issues. Hagerman is optimistic. The company that sold us the equipment saw that we were having a, a problem that they felt they could remedy. And so they sent an engineer to Petersburg to work on the failed component and make sure that it would not fail again. All of the fixes are under warranty, so the borough didn't have to pay for the repairs. Much of the project was paid for by an electric utility revenue bond for $7.5 million that voters approved in 2021. The $2.9 million in grant funds will replace some of that bonded money. The bonded money can then be put towards a planned generator project, which voters also approved in the bond. When energy loads are high during the winter months or the connection to the power fails, the borough relies on backup diesel generators. Hagerman says the town needs to be able to generate more backup power. Our diesel generation capacity is very close to not being enough. And in fact, depending on what's going on, it may not be enough. And so it's it's very important for us to have that capacity in the diesel plant to to get people's lights and heat back on when it's zero degrees outside. The new generator will be at Scow Bay. Hagerman says the ability to transfer bond money to the Scow Bay generation project will have a huge impact on rates. That's because Petersburg Power and Light won't have to increase rates to fund the project. Alaska school districts are facing unprecedented challenges in hiring and turnover, school administrators told lawmakers on Monday. Lisa Parody leads the Alaska Council of School Administrators. We are struggling in the worst crisis Alaska has ever seen in terms of turnover. We can't recruit teachers. Fundamentally, that's very important to high-quality instruction. The comments came during a two-hour presentation before the House and Senate Education Committees featuring school and district officials from across Alaska. Parity says the struggle in hiring has led some districts to turn outside the U.S. to fill teaching positions. We are in such dire straits in terms of recruitment that we are um, in a position of of needing to uh, hire many foreign teachers. I have an example of one district that has 87 foreign teachers. Alaska received 89 teachers through the J-1 program in 2022 and more than 100 in 2021. But J-1 teachers can only stay in the U.S. for three to five years. 
and district officials told lawmakers teacher turnover often results in lower student performance. Parody and her fellow administrators say part of the solution to the teacher shortage is more funding. Parody says increases in salaries and benefits would make the state a more competitive destination in an increasingly tight market for teachers and school staff. Though Alaska teachers once enjoyed a significant premium over wages in the lower 48, the gap has narrowed significantly in recent years. Senator Jesse Bjorkman, a Nikiski Republican, says districts need to do more to underline what might happen in real-world terms if lawmakers fail to boost per-student funding. It's important that each district put on the record what's at stake for education opportunities for kids. That's that's the, Those are the questions that we're looking for answers for, is we need to know what we're investing in and what outcomes are going to be available for kids through those invested dollars. Governor Mike Dunleavy, a Republican, did not include an increase in the base student allocation in his proposed budget and has threatened to veto a standalone bill that would raise it. He has instead pushed lawmakers to pass a package of education reforms. A Washington state-based conservation organization is asking the federal government to list king salmon in southeast and south-central Alaska under the protection of the Endangered Species Act. The Wild Fish Conservancy filed a 68-page petition with the National Marine Fisheries Service on January 11th. The same organization also filed a lawsuit against the National Marine Fisheries Service in 2020, arguing that the agency's authorization of the Southeast Alaska King Salmon Troll Fishery was in violation of the Endangered Species Act and should be permanently shut down. That suit remains in litigation. Robert Woolsey recently spoke with Matt Hertz an independent reporter with the Northern Journal, to learn more about the Wild Fish Conservancy's petition to list king salmon as endangered. It could end in 30 days with uh, with the National Marine Fisheries Service saying, we don't think that the information that you've presented here shows that there's a you know significant or imminent risk of extinction. And so then it's actually case closed unless... Wild Fish Conservancy, the organization that's pushing for this, decides it wants to, I guess, you know, file a lawsuit or some kind of appeal. If they actually accept the petition, then that would start like a a year long review process. Um, and then uh, and then within another year, if they decide that it it is merited, they would publish like a proposed rule uh, request for public comments. And I think there's some process around designating critical habitats. So I think if there was a, a listing that was going to happen, it would not be happening for at least two years. But, you know, these things, I think, very often get bogged down in litigation and um, appeals. And so, yeah, I don't think, you know, we have to worry about fishing season getting shut down in Sitka or anywhere else because of this anytime in the near term. Do you think the ESA listing is connected at all to the the uh, the lawsuit from the Wild Fish Conservancy and uh, I guess their long-term strategy of trying to protect the population of southern resident killer whales in Puget Sound by ending southeast commercial trolling for Chinook? I think that there are some interesting and important questions that are raised by the Wild Fish Conservancy's activity here, you know, it, it does feel like in a lot of places, in a lot of ways around the state, and particularly in South Central and in Southeast Alaska, like there are scary things happening 
in the ocean. And I think they are asking questions in, you know, really tough ways in effect through the, the, the lawsuit and the Endangered Species Act petition about like, what kind of steps do we need to and can we take to, to deal with this? I think the way that they're going about it, where they don't really seem to be engaging with stakeholders and folks that are really connected to and invested in these resources and these fish in Alaska is not endearing them to a lot of those stakeholders. My sense is if you went uh, door to door and Sitka and asked for, did a poll on Wild Fish Conservancy, you probably wouldn't get a lot, a, a high approval rating. You know, it's hard, I think, for Alaskans and as an Alaskan to totally understand what their broader strategy is and are they really trying to engage Alaskans in their work or in some ways are they trying to basically use these sort of legal levers that are out there because they feel like Alaskans aren't taking this seriously and, and aren't going to be partners in their efforts, even if they're those efforts they think are necessary. I think that's an interesting observation, Nat, because a number of high-profile conservation organizations like Salmon State and the Southeast Alaska Conservation Council have come out in opposition to the Wild Fish Conservancy, both the lawsuit and now the ESA listing. In fact, Salmon State took the gloves off and said it's just a, an obvious effort by the Wild Fish Conservancy to, to sort of stick a knife in the back of Southeast commercial trolling. So it does seem like there's an odd imbalance. If it really is an effort to conserve king salmon, why isn't the conservation community more aligned? It feels like at some level, when we talk about the threats to this southern resident killer whale population that the Wild Fish Conservancy says it wants to protect, and threats to Chinook salmon in southeast Alaska and in Puget Sound, I think, you know, a lot of people and people in the Alaska conservation community are very quick to point the finger at Puget Sound area. It's like an urban jungle. And what are you guys doing to stop the runoff of these like nasty PCBs and other contaminants you're getting from like, I guess, car tires that are also like linked to decline in, in the killer whales. And I think you can also look and say, well, really the biggest problem affecting like our entire environment and all of our marine life, whether it's fish or orcas, is a global warming climate change problem. At some level, I can kind of empathize with the approach being taken by Wild Fish Conservancy here, because how do you as like a relatively small conservation advocacy group deal with like urbanization of an entire region of your state and 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 unwinding that? And similarly, how do you as a small conservation organization deal with the global problem of climate change? It is much easier and, and more convenient to like point the finger at the people that are pulling the fish one by one out of the ocean, even if the science is maybe not conclusive about how much of an impact they're having. And so, I, you know, I don't know. I think it's like this is the kind of thing that we are seeing in broader places than just Alaska as we like deal with these bigger environmental issues, I think, and climate change in particular is that like, you know, you start to get into this kind of blame game and, and finger pointing when the real underlying problems might be things that we actually need to kind of come together and cooperate to resolve. Nat Hurst is an independent reporter with the Northern Journal who has covered the Wild Fish Conservancy's troll lawsuit and now its petition to list Alaska Chinook as endangered. He spoke with Robert Woolsey.
Rob Arnold, a District 1 Republican candidate for the Alaska House of Representatives, withdrew his candidacy last week. On January 31st, Arnold placed an ad in the Wrangell Sentinel newspaper announcing his campaign for the seat. The following day, he sent KRBD a statement announcing he was dropping out of the race. It's been an interesting day, he wrote. Jack Darrell reports from Ketchikan. Rob Arnold mounted his campaign as a Republican in December with hopes to unseat Independent Representative Dan Ortez as District 1's delegate in the legislature. Arnold quietly filed for candidacy around the same time as fellow Republican Jeremy Bynum, but seemingly just as his campaign began, it ended. He claimed there was a statute that he missed buried in his employment contract. Arnold is a purser for the Alaska Marine Highway System. He said that's what dealt his campaign the killing blow, that and a heavy dose of what he refers to as Chicago politics. I mean, and I'm not, you know, I, you play the game, you know, you're, you know, what's, but I was just um, kind of shocked. Um, I'm a pretty positive guy. So I, uh, you know, you know, I mean, you got to take the lick. But when you when it's coming from the inside, you're just like, whoa, OK. When asked what he meant, he was equally vague. His official statement announcing his withdrawal began, quote, forces that were beyond my control that were exploited by my competitors, unquote. Arnold also ran for the Ketchikan City Council and Ketchikan School Board last year. He narrowly lost the school board race, coming in third for two open seats, and was the sixth place in for the Ketchikan City Council. Arnold said he decided to run for the District 1 seat because other candidates didn't reflect what he wanted as a voter. Somebody needs to start sounding the alarm. There's, I mean, we are, Southeast especially, and you can see our infrastructure is like falling apart. I mean, we um, and our ferries, you know, and, and things, but I think we're on a good track now with our ferries, but the problem is that we can't get people to come up here and work because it's so darn expensive. They can't find housing. Arnold said the main areas he hoped to tackle on the campaign trail were the PFD and the Ketchikan Indian community's bid to change Ketchikan's classification from urban to rural so that residents can subsistence hunt. You know that people pay a high, high, high price to live in those places. And so what they rely upon is is subsistence. I mean, they go out and they, you know, get their deer, they get their, you know, fish or, um, I mean, that's how, how it offsets their, you know, paying for the fuel and paying for all these things. Jeremy Bynum, Arnold's competitor on the Republican ticket, said he hadn't spoken to Arnold since he issued his statement the previous day and that he had no idea what Arnold meant about being exploited by his competitors. Though Arnold said his job's fine print prevented him from running, although he wouldn't elaborate, he also said that he asked his regional union director and his supervisor on the ship before entering the race and all gave their blessing. Arnold said he plans to run again in the future, adding that tomorrow is another day. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.